Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 93, Ubuntu 13.04, recorded Cinco de Mayo 2013, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. Element OP. Dot com. Recently, I had a friend of mine say, uh, what day is Cinco de Mayo? And I said, I think it's Sunday this year. And she said, no, what's the date? <laughs> I, I, th- I said, this year they moved it to May 5th. And she said, oh, okay. Yeah, Spanish fail. So in case Definitely. you're uh, not near a Mexican restaurant and didn't know, Today is Cinco de Mayo, which is often misappropriately or inappropriately regarded as the Mexican Independence Day. It's actually the day they won a battle just before they got totally destroyed in the war. But that's neither here nor there. Happy Cinco de Mayo, everybody. Enjoy a Dos Equis with the most interesting man in America or in the world or something. Something along those yes, lines. the world. My name is Mark, and with me, as always, is the command go- line godfather, Mr. Christopher Knees. Hi, Chris. Hello, hello, and for better or worse, I am stuck with him. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, the uh, foil to his flame. I don't know where I'm going with this. Uh, Mr. <laughs> Gooey Kid Seth Anderson. Hi, Seth. Hello, Mark, and welcome, Element Opie. Uh, Oh God! I, I had a great saying, and my tongue just my tongue lost it. Sorry, but welcome everyone. I will try it again next week. All right, well, at least you uh, tried. Spe- speaking of uh, the element, Opie faithful. I just want to say uh, thanks for rocking out the Amazon elementopie uh, slash Amazon referral link. Um, I got another check this month, which is cool. It used to take, see, they only send out a check if you get up to $100 in kickbacks, Mm -hmm. and uh, it used to take me three to four months to get $100 built up and get a check, and so far I've gotten a check the last two months. So awesome, guys. Sweet. Keep it up, and in case you're not familiar with that, just go to elementopi.com slash Amazon. Anytime you want to go to Amazon.com, nothing changes for you except there's a little cookie embedded in your uh, browser. For you tinfoil hat people out there, that does mean that you are uh, marked by the CIA, and uh, they will be listening in on all of your telephone conversations, as well as taking stool samples every time you flush. Uh, But other (laughs) than that, um, your experience on Amazon does not change. You see the same things. Your prices don't go up any, but we get a small referral fee for anything you buy within, I think it's three days. So if you're looking at something... You, you go the, to that link, elementopi.com slash Amazon, and you're looking at something. Uh, and then you go back within three days and buy that something. Even if you don't use the, the link the second time, we get a referral credit. And it doesn't, it's, you know, it's not a whole lot of money, but hey, I get a little kickback every time you do that. And it's awesome. I, I take that money and I uh, use it to pay for server hosting and, and, and that sort of stuff. And uh, I appreciate it. So you guys have been super faithful and thanks for that. Keep up the good work, and uh, and you can you can buy literally anything. You could buy probably a houseboat on Amazon.com. I haven't looked, but I bet you could. <laughs> There's a a funny thing on uh, was it 
oh, I can't remember the name of the the puppet show that you that YouTube has it on. It's something in boots or something like that. And they make fun of you of Amazon by going, any place you can buy a forty five or a revolver, a brazier, and a cow tongue just shouldn't exist on the internet. And the other guy goes, Well, what about Walmart? Yeah, yeah. You could get all of those things at Walmart at two thirty in the morning. Yep. Or buy it on Amazon with elementop.com slash Amazon. There you go. Excellent. Uh, so anyway, uh, uh, any other comments about Amazon? Anything? No? Okay. I like it. Amazon is nice. The only thing I wish would Amazon would change is their stupid instant stream policy. Amazon, I'm looking at you. Come on. Let Fedora stream your instant stream stuff <laughs> because right now I can't and it irritates me. Because they can't stick Grr. the RM on a Linux feed. Well, no, they so, can't. What, what it is is they're relying upon an old library that Fedora debunked oh two years ago and everyone else has kept it in because of Amazon. It's that HAL library, the H-A-L. So... With everyone else using it and Fedora not using it, uh, you can't stream Amazon because they can't put that little piece of um, hardware obstruction layer in there. You mean the uh, command line godfather doesn't know a way to go put that in after the fact? Well, the problem is is Fedora doesn't allow that library to be loaded anymore unless you I go see. through a lot of monkeying. And it's not worth re- re- it's not worth risking my system stability for that because that's what VirtualBox or anything else for virtualizing comes in okay uh-huh. so have you guys seen iron man 3 yet i have not seen it yet okay. it just it just Up came here out in the sticks yeah no so my no. wife and i went uh and saw it yesterday no spoilers but i i will say that in my opinion um it's not as good as the original movie uh, it is better than the second one, which is a pretty low benchmark. Um, and I liken it into uh, unto a lot of other sci-fi action adventure things. As long as you're willing to turn off the part of your brain that controls logic and reason, you will enjoy the movie immensely. That's pretty typical for most, most movies anymore. Right. Well, at least most Hollywood cinema movies. Right. So. And I tweeted that uh, recently. And I got a comment back from one of the listeners, from one of the Element OP Nation, uh, who said, better than Iron Man 2? No way! Iron Man 2 is the best of the series! And to you, my friend, I have to say, I'm sorry. I'm simply, I'm sorry that uh, your life is such that that is the way you perceive those movies. It, it must be a sad existence that you think Iron Man 2 was the best of the bunch. You know, it's been so long since I watched an Iron Man. I couldn't even tell you much about either one, to tell you the truth. So, see, that's I what we do here hold my at Element Opie. We insult the people who, and when one of the guys just left the chat room, maybe that was him. Maybe that's <laughs> who I was. Uh, we insult people. We call them sad and terrible if they don't agree with us. Uh, just like a right wing radio host. It's awesome. Uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I'm in a weird mood tonight, folks. Um, anyway, that's all I have to say about that. Uh, go see it. Uh, if you're at all a Marvel fan or an Iron Man fan, it's totally worth it. I went cool. and saw um, 42 yesterday. How was that? Great. It was an awesome movie. I really enjoyed it. And Harrison Ford 
did a great job as an actor. I was I was really impressed with uh, his acting. In you know, movie, he's been doing so. that for a few years now. Well, no, but I mean, you know, normally he plays the action hero, right. even in the even you know in a lot of his films. But I mean, just his acting and character character portrayal was very well done, and I really enjoyed watching him as an actor and not just as an action man. So. Oh, one other word about uh, Iron Man 3. I want to say it is the best 3D movie I've ever seen. I tend to avoid 3D. I don't like 3D because they're over the top and obnoxious and it gives me a headache. Um, But the 3D in Iron Man was, I'm not going to use the word perfect, but the best I have ever seen. Um, They treated it for the most part like the screen was the farthest front and everything took place behind it. So you got a depth of field, much like the way you would actually see it in the real world. Uh, so it wasn't things jumping out of the screen a millimeter in front of your face. It wasn't the, the blur-inducing uh, quick cuts or anything like that. It was very well done. Um, the best 3D I've ever seen. So kudos cool. to him for that. Very Sweet. cool. Um, okay, enough movie talk. Um what are these link YouTube links that were just put in there? Hey, are you kidding? I put those in there like 30, 30 minutes ago or like an hour ago now. <laughs> so, no, they were oh, yeah, the Samsung the, commercial. Oh, the, 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 the Windows phone commercials. Yes. Yeah. That have, have, uh, we're, what? If you haven't, we'll throw the link in the show notes. It's the Lumina, Nokia Lumina commercial. It's the wedding where half the people are using Samsung. And the other half are using iPhones and, you know, they, they start insulting each other and it turns into a big slugfest at the wedding. Have, have y'all seen that? Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. Nope. I thought, I, I thought it was one of the best commercials I've seen. It. I won't buy a Windows phone because right. of it, but I really, I enjoyed watching the commercial. Yeah. There's the, and, there's uh, the Samsung guys on one side and the iPhone guys on the other. And, and it's, it's perfect. Like the Samsung guys clink their phones together to transfer something. And one of the iPhone people talks into to her phone and says, "Search one trick pony," and Siri responds. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's lots of digs back and forth like that. It's great. That's awesome. It's really good. I'll have to actually go watch it. And then the other one is for you Matrix fans out there. Another really good commercial. Yeah, they. Um, and this is just a recent commercial. GE got um, Hugo Weaving to reprise his role as Agent Smith, talking about all the technology and software hardware integration they do in hospitals. And so he's walking around being Agent Smith, talking about all of the neat uh, computers. At the very end, there's this, he has these two lollipops, and he goes to a kid and says, you know, red or blue. Right. And it was, uh, the only thing missing was a Mr. Anderson. Right. Um, but I I was uh, I thought it was some old commercial, you know. But so kudos to GE for resurrecting a long dead franchise for a uh, commercial. I yeah, thought they the, did a great job. The, the film has the green wash over it. Everything is slightly green, so it has the look of the Matrix, and uh, it's the uh, multi-replicating <laughs> uh, Agent Smith of episodes two and three. So he shows up all over the place. It's it's fun. It's worth watching. And yeah, GE obviously has some geeks working for their in their ad department. Yeah, I, thought I guess they I know were, what I'm going to do when the show's over. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the links are the links will be in the show notes. And so uh, just tune in and watch it. And they're about a minute each. And if you were in the chat room, you could watch them now. Yes, but don't do that because we're doing a show. 
in case you haven't right. noticed. Yeah. I, it's, sometimes so. it's hard to tell. Uh, every now and then, <laughs> we'll be in the middle of a show, and somebody will come into the chat room and say, has the show started yet? Yes, <laughs> this is what you get, folks. Um, all right, on to the interesting bits of the week. We talked about uh, the demise of Fuduntu Linux. Uh, well, turns out yep. it's not quite dead yet. Nope, not quite yet. Uh, from what I've been reading... It's pulling Amigo. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's hope it sticks around a little bit longer than Amigo. But they we're going to rebrand and remove and call it Fuse because they're going to use OpenSUSE as the base instead of Fedora. Um, well, evidently Fuse is copyrighted or has been confused with another product, such as the Fuse libraries to mount other file systems. So they're changing their names again to now Cloverleaf Linux. And uh, it says here uh, the uh, it's being developed by the Solus OS founder. So Solus OS yep. took um, what was it? It took something and and grafted it on top of something. I can't remember what it was. Door to door geek is yelling at his pod player right now, going, "What? Well, you should know this." Um, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, it, we did be, a year it, ago when we covered it, right? So it's the it's the same. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, apparently it's the same guy doing that, and the idea, of course, the the idea of Fuduntu in general was to uh, sort of bolt GNOME two onto Fedora. That the, that's the yeah. the the overly simplified version of it, and now they're just going to try to bolt GNOME two onto to OpenSUSE. Well, I'm wondering how that's going to go because with SUSE, they're kind of dis. Uh, desktop environment neutral they kind of have a little bit of everything so i wonder if they might not already have something in the place to put that or uh maybe have some sort of uh tie into you know the mate system or the cinnamon system and use that as their base it'll be mm. interesting to find out where it's going to go because uh, right now they're still in the designing and development phases and when they have betas or final release we'll let you know but we are watching. And while we're on the subject of desktop environments, LinuxAdvocates.com suggests that nobody really cares what OS they're using or what uh, desktop environment it is as long as it comes on their machine when they get it and it works. Yeah, well, that was... Right. Uh, yeah, why... Um, as long as Linux is something that you have to... Um, go in and destroy what comes on your system and put it on there, it's at best going to remain a niche player in the market. And they were talking about um, Chrome OS and how they have gone gone through like the OEM and um, software certification for hardware partners to make sure everything works. And, you know, and Google is actually, you know, they're getting some traction with their Chrome OS notebooks and it has to do because you don't have to go and download it. Although you can, it's available for download and install, but you can buy it preloaded on a hard drive or on a computer at major operating systems. And I know people out there saying, yeah, but you can go to system 76 and Dell has that one laptop. If you search through 14 pages in their forums to find the direct link and <laughs> there's these other vendors, but I mean, can you go to Best Buy? Can you go to Wally world uh, fries or whatever your hometown uh, computer hardware store is and look at a Linux desktop. 
If the answer to that question is no, then how are we going to get Linux to the masses? I mean, Linux does a great job of catering to Linux users because Linux users want Linux and go looking for it. But can we cater to people who don't know what it is and just say, hey, have you seen this computer rather than, well, go buy that computer and then go download this operating system and then go make a an ISO file and use a USB drive because nobody uses CDs or DVDs anymore and then make sure UFI is turned off and then try <laughs> to boot that CD. Uh, you know, that that's a lot of work to say, yeah, go down to Best Buy and pick out the pink one or the blue one or, you know, whichever one. So in, until we get to that point, you know, we're kind of relegated to the also ran category. And I don't disagree with you. I wouldn't say also ran, but I would certainly say hobbyist. Uh, Linux will never yeah. uh, uh, reach out of the realm of the hobbyist until people can just buy it. And, and you know, the Linux zealots will point at Android and say, that's exactly what it is. You're just buying uh, Linux. But again, you're not interfacing directly with Linux. You're interfacing with, with the Android OS, essentially a, a series of Java uh, programs on top of Linux. The fact that Linux happens to be the foundation of it doesn't really matter to anybody. Uh, except right. the super uber nerds. And while we're yeah, on because you go ahead. They both they everybody ahead, stopped at the same time. So while we're on the <laughs> subject of Android, uh anybody remember the Barnes and Noble Nook? Of course not. Nobody remembers the Barnes and Noble Nook because the only people who bought them were the ones who wanted to root them and put Android on it. Well it turns out Barnes and Noble is doing that for you. You can now buy their awesome. new Nook HD series as full-on Android devices with the Play Store and everything. Yes, and that's coming out with um, their 2.1 software update. So it will be coming uh, automatically to a Nook HD near you or probably more realistically to a Nook HD setting in a Barnes and Noble store or warehouse somewhere. <laughs> and then, uh, and then you will be able to not only buy from Barnes and Noble, but you can also buy your books and music from the Google play store. I mean, it's a good move. I think for Barnes and Noble, because it does give them a heck of a lot more apps than they had before. Cause then the, the uh, Nook play place was uh, pretty deserted. And about the only thing in there was tumbleweeds and dust. So now they have access to the full on Google play store. So whether it will be enough to make them relegate them from also ran, you know, has been to force of the market, I don't know, but you know, it can't be a bad thing. And now that they're full fledged Google citizens in the Android world, you get the benefit of uh, the Gmail app and the Google Maps app and, and the voice search and all that good stuff that you can't get if you're just running Android. Uh, and, right. and so to be certified, so to speak, to get the Play Store, you got to put all that other stuff on there. So it becomes a full-on Android, not just Android, but Google Android tablet. And it really, right. uh, it's it's kind of Barnes & Noble admitting defeat in terms of this is a device to sell you our content, uh, which is what it was originally designed for and what the Kindle Fire still is. Um, it's, you yeah. know, the fact that it's an Android tablet is ancillary to the fact that it's an Amazon purchasing kiosk uh and and barnes and noble started that with a nook and they just didn't have the power uh of amazon to push it i mean they they, they did all right for a while and they're still selling a few of them but they're they're underpowered devices they're just not um super popular and because they were locked down people weren't willing to live with the the constraints of it like you know the the underpowered tablet market is huge out there 
There's lots of them, but they're full Android devices, and you can do, you know, Google Android devices. You can do stuff with them. And so the Nook was sort of the worst of both worlds. They were underpowered, and you couldn't put real uh, Google stuff on them. And so they were kind of in this nether region of the only reason I would buy this is if I want to buy through Barnes & Noble, and Barnes & Noble doesn't have anything but books. So you got to be a real book right. nerd. Uh, the Amazon tablet, there's, you know, as Chris was just talking about, they've got streaming video and they've and you know they've got refrigerators and they've got you know beef <laughs> tongue, um, and you can all buy it all through your Kindle Fire HD. So there, the two market strategies are very different, and uh, I think it's in this case it's clear that Android won, uh, that Amazon won, and and Barnes and Noble lost. Yep, and I Google agree with all that is ruling them all. Right, Google wins either way. Right, they they still so get far injured. at least. Uh, well, s- it's a win for Google, right? right? You know, if if nothing else, it's because hey, look, Google just has that much more. Their market share went, you know, from like fifty to fifty point one. So it can't be, you know, it's good for them. And just to mark a little bit of history, twenty years ago last week, um, the first www.html document was pasted on the internet. The internet's been around for a while, but the web was born exactly 20 years ago. Right. right. The actual and public internet. And CERN, uh, they posted their document and relinquished all intellectual property to this code, both source and binary form, and permission is granted for anyone to use, duplicate, modify, and redistribute it. So they they gave the internet its freedom you know, we are free today because some bold visionary 20 years ago didn't want the hassle of trying to lock something like that down and opened it up for mm-hmm. all of us. And we are and it's, we're much grateful for him. April 30th, and, 1993. And the government is slowly trying to take it away. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to put that reference in there. That yep. was uh, big. They, they, I had another notice from the uh, EFF Foundation the other day saying that we need to keep fighting so had to put it in there sorry guys but you know it's kind of it's kind of cool that with uh in just 20 years most of our audience that's half their life to a span ago our audience tends to be about 40ish years old so in just um you know the the lifespan of of a college uh freshman the entire world has changed. I mean, we're talking about the Android devices and we're talking about Amazon tablets and we're talking about, you know, we're doing a podcast and we're broadcasting it on, on the internet and all of these things are possible because of the HTML spec. Um, and because it wasn't encumbered in any way. So it just goes to show you that what one good thing that is open and unencumbered can do, um, you never know what in 20 years is going to happen. And the, and the more you try to close things down, the more, the more you try to restrict it, the more things tend to die and, and fade away. So uh, openness for the win, please, Alex. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> and because we love numbers, we have to have a numbers section. Uh, some people are selling some tablets. Yeah, and if you're not familiar lots with of this, them. imagine... Imagine a laptop, but without a separate keyboard where because you want to use a keyboard, you then go and pay twice as much for this device without a keyboard. 
and then you go and pay about as much again to get a keyboard to make this tablet exactly like your laptop. And that's what is the big deal raging throughout the world. <laughs> so uh, it's great for hardware manufacturers and device manufacturers because they're still selling you a laptop, but they've broken it into multiple pieces and the price now is greater than the sum of its parts. So, but yes, um, over quarter one of 2013, the numbers are in. And approximately 49.2 million devices shipped, which is a heck of a lot of devices. Um, and I, and this is global, uh, and, uh, that's up 142% from that time last year. And Android is leading the pack. And some would say that's a no brainer at over 56%. iPad is second with just over 39%. And Microsoft has jumped up into the third position with a whopping 3.7% up from their 1% uh, in the previous quarter. Because remember, there were the Windows 7 tablets that had like an, a half-hour battery life and crappy touchscreens, but they, they did have a market share. So the tablet does seem to be the future um, as much as I hate it, although i got to admit, I have my uh, Transformer uh, TF300 thing, and I'm loving it. It's a, it's a lot of fun. I, I don't pull out my laptop and power it up. When I'm laying in bed, I just reach over and grab my tablet instead. That was a haiku, Seth. Well, hey, you know, I'm trying to make <laughs> ourselves culturally relevant to the Internet. Now, just to uh, to bring some reality to those numbers, this is a wholesale uh, shipment. That doesn't mean that 49.2 million units are in the hands of actual humans. That means that 49.2 million units left a manufacturer and went somewhere they could still be in warehouses or on store shelves uh, but somebody right. is buying these things from the manufacturers it remains to be seen how many of those will be you know dumped uh, in the future but yeah tab the tablets are the thing bill gates said 20 years ago tablets are the things and he kept saying tablets tablets and he kept putting out tablets and windows tablet edition and the convertible pc and all these tablets 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 finally said i give up and the tablet took off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, figure. but, you know, in his defense, the hardware wasn't there to make, you know, it was it was too big and clunky and heavy to hold like you would hold a clipboard. And the tablets today are light enough to do that. So, yeah, you it, know, he's he was a he was ahead of his time. Um, it's really two things that came together at the same time, the capacitive touchscreen and the arm processor. Those two right. things coming together changed the buying uh, behavior of the American public. Uh, now yep. you have this thing that you can touch, and touch is, is you know, for a small device, it's, a, it's, a, it's the way to go. It's still not for your desktop. People don't want to touch at the desktop for the most part, but something you hold right. in your hand or, like you say, Seth, laying in bed at night, um, you don't want your laptop. You want your, your tablet. Uh, and the the cranked up uh, ARM processors that are now as fast as the the Intel processors of the of the x86 model were a few years ago, those two things collided and and boom. Yep, and now we have it. And we talked a little bit yeah. about uh, um, antivirus last week, but what we didn't mention was antivirus in Android. Some would say you got to have it. Others would say not so much. Um, the H online weighs in and uh, gives their thoughts on it. 
Yes, uh, they are talking about research done at Northwestern University and North Carolina State University, and they've discovered that antivirus programs for Android um, can be bypassed in very trivial means. They uh, developed this tool that can modify known malware apps, and then they tested them um, against 10 scanners that are available online, and they pretty much all failed. So um, they started out missing uh, 45%, and a year later, they were only missing 16%. So, um, I mean, you might say, well, 16% is pretty good, and granted, it's a lot better than missing 45%, but uh, I'm, I'm not like that technical in that particular field, but apparently the stuff they did is pretty trivial, and any kind of antivirus you would think should be able to find it. So it, it's coming and, you know, security for the Android marketplace is coming, but still the best security is what is behind your eyeballs and taking up space in your cranial lobe. Right. Um, if you're not going to use that, there's no app out there that's going to help you be secure. Now, um, just to add see, some perspective to this, the, the reason there, this is totally me conjecturing here, by the way, um, the reason that it's difficult to detect um, Android viruses is the same reason that it's difficult uh, for Android viruses to actually do much. And that's because the, the Android apps are, are sandboxed. Each app has only access to its little environment. And the only way you can get out of the sandbox is, a sandbox is with explicit user permission. So most of these, uh, I'm not going to say most of them, all of these uh, Android malware that I'm aware of tell you up front what they want access to when you download them. From you know, the, yep. uh, If you download them from the Android store, they say, I need access to your contacts, your internet, uh, to keep your phone awake. Uh, I need all that. And people go, I don't care, okay. And they click yes. And now you've given the things permission to this. So now a scanner is looking around saying, okay, I'm looking for an application that's doing what uh, it says it's going to do and what the user gave it permission to do. Well, that's hard to narrow down. Uh, so, then right. you, so then you have to start looking at the kind of things it's doing and saying, well, okay, is it surreptitiously sending and receiving information, doing things not necessarily related to what the user is doing? Yes. So that's either a virus or any one of a million in-app ad servers that do exactly the same thing. So it's I don't right. think there will ever be a good antivirus scanner for Android for the same reason that there won't be a good virus for Android. Um, they're, they're, the sandboxing makes it difficult to really do anything, and it also makes it really difficult to... to um, to detect when something's doing something. Now, that's not to say that an Android malware can't do evil things, but they're evil things that you either uh, accidentally or intentionally gave them permission to do. Yeah, but at the same token, anything you go and download, you know, legitimate app, they want access to everything. Exactly. You know, and and so how can you tell just by saying, oh, this wants access to my you know, to my phone to prevent my computer from going to sleep, access to my internet. Well, I mean, if you if you re if you rejected apps that had that, you would have no apps at all on your phone because the writers are writing in all of this stuff, whether you know just to try to make a buck or because they're crappy at their job. I I don't know, but I just know that 
you know, I mean, I, I tried to, I downloaded a Sudoku game and I, all the crap it was asking for, I was like, I just want to play Sudoku and I don't mind if you put a little ad at the bottom. But, you know, I mean, you don't need, I was going to download the IMDB app, but I looked at all of that stuff and I went, I'm just going to go to the webpage, imdb.com and the Facebook app. I had it on there and I went, this is crap. I'm bringing up the internet. I'm bringing up the browser and going to facebook.com. I mean, all the, all an app does is, Hey, let's take some of the features of a website and package them with ads and poorly written code and we'll call it an app. So, um, there's not many apps out there that I think are worth having. It's, you know, because for the ones where you have to have an internet connection to use, you might as well just use the web-based version yeah. that's going to give you better features, especially if you have a tablet like, you know, I have however big the transformer is, it's like the full-size tablet. I mean, there's really no difference between looking at something on that browser screen and on my computer screen. So there you go, people. Let's ditch the apps and use the web. The it, the browser is the killer app. The Transformer is a 10.1-inch screen, by the way. Yeah. It's nice. See, and the other thing I was going to say about a, or antivirus and Android, is it the same problem that you're going to have with an antivirus on Linux? Um, you, you know, like you brought up earlier, Mark, you just don't have that type of access that you need, you know, that to be able to, to, to see problems so it, it's a whole bunch of different issues that i don't think we're ever going to get a good antivirus you you the user are the antivirus yeah and having said that it's even worse in the ios they're even more tightly controlled uh so you know the people who say ios is more secure than android uh you know they're right to a degree uh, at least in Android, you can see what they're doing. In iOS, you don't even get that. You have to trust the screeners at Apple to to figure it out. It, it's mm-hmm. going to be interesting. As we move more toward the, the full-on OS on a mobile device, these problems are going to, to surface more and more. But Android was really carefully designed, and iOS too, really carefully designed to not give access carte blanche to any one thing uh there's you know you can do what i say you can do and nothing more and and that's a good thing um but i think that as people expect their phones to just know what they want like we do with our computers we just we just expect them to know and and in order to do that you got to give the computer a lot of power and and that's going to become you know, more and more, yeah, then you're, you're going to end up with the HAL 9000 situation eventually. It's just unavoidable. You're going to be saying, open the pod bay doors, and your c- computer is going to be saying, saying, I'm sorry, I can't do that, and you're in trouble. <laughs> best, One of the best cartoons I ever saw, you know, just one of those little one-screen black-and-white hand-drawn things. Dave is looking at the screen, and, and he says, more porn, HAL. And it was just funny. So... Sorry, neither here nor there, but <laughs> that was random. Uh, okay, that's that's it. An abbreviated uh, Linux new. Actually, this is going to be a short show. We might make it under two hours this week. Uh, we'll, we'll maybe <laughs> see. Um, but of uh, an abbreviated news section, and uh, we but we do however have one really long bit of listener feedback just from one person, 
but it's a doozy. Uh, Anthony writes in and asks about 150 questions at once. Um, so here we go. <laughs> Anthony says, hi, guys. I've recently purchased a refurbished Dell Optiplex 745 desktop with Windows 7 Professional 64-bit installed. That's a good machine. I'm very surprised yeah. at how nice Windows 7 is, and I like it very much. Who wouldn't be surprised by that? That being said, it's not Linux. I've been running on my only I've been running only Linux on my computer for the last couple of years and miss not having it installed on my computer. I do boot into a USB stick with Linux on it and run that from time to time, but it's not the same thing. What I would like to do is dual boot the machine. The problems I'm looking at are these. Number one, I do not have install media and I'm afraid I'll mess up Windows 7 install. The computer has a refurbished license sticker, and I'm not sure what I can do to get install media for Windows 7. Looking at the internet, there are ways to download and burn it to a disk or to a USB stick, but it seems sketchy. I want to keep things legal, and the seller said he could not give me a copy of the install media. Um, do we want to answer this as we go, or yes, do we, we want to wait Seth, till the end? I had this exact same problem, and Seth helped me out, and he can help you out with this one. He will put the link in the notes, but Microsoft makes those installers available as long as you've got a license key you're good to go yes uh and you you can download they have the different versions for 32 and 64-bit windows 7 um home home premium professional peanut butter and jelly you name it they have it available for download on their digital river site and there's even a trick you can down you can download 132-bit and 164-bit and go and delete one file, and I'd have to look from through my notes on how to do this, but and basically have access to them all. As long as you have a valid product key, you can use these. I mean, you could use them anyway and install, you know, like the 30-day trial, but as long as you have a valid product key and an OEM product key is a valid product key, these downloads will work. You are downloading an ISO that you can then either... Um, you know, use some third-party tool to convert that for a thumb drive. You could burn it to a DVD. And if you have Windows 7 installed already, you can download from Microsoft their Windows 7 USB uh, uh, maker and do that when you're when you're making a Windows one. That's the one I would use. And I'm trying to look up my uh, links for the Digital River stuff. But yeah. So you can download from the internet. It's not from Microsoft.com. It is from DigitalRiver.com, but it is Microsoft's official account there. And so he will put that uh, link in the show notes. This is perfectly legal. Uh, you can download it. You can have access to it uh, at any time. Uh, and that's it's what I did. I ran into the exact same situation you did. I had a refurb laptop. I had to format the hard drive. I didn't have install media, but I had a certificate of authentication on the machine. So I know it's a legal license. Uh, and I came to this show and I said, Hey, does anybody have any media? And Seth, after the show said, try this link. And it was perfect. I downloaded it. In my case, I, uh, made a bootable USB out of it and it works and, and there you're good to go. Yeah. I would the only go thing ahead I'll raise on that. I saw now go ahead, Chris, go ahead and say the, the one thing I'll, I will raise a flag about is yes, it is legal and everything is fine, but chances are you will have to call them in and get them activated through the phone. Um, I've done that this this m method a few times, and I don't know, probably seventy five percent of the time, I had to call it in. Well, you know, and, and the twenty five rest of the time was um, automatic activation. But you may have to call it in, so 
just as yeah, a heads you're up. Right. Now that you mentioned it, I had to do that, but it, it's not a big deal. They don't even ask you any questions. You just say, right. uh, it's an automated system. You punch in your number and they spit out an activation code. Yeah, right. And I haven't just, had to you know, do it, that. So. It does take a couple of minutes, so make sure that you do have the few minutes to type in all those numbers, just as a heads up. Good idea. Okay, Seth, you were saying something? No, I was just going to say, I haven't had to. It's always done the automatic activation for me. Okay. So. All right, then continuing on with Anthony's email, what would be the best way to go about this? Should I just get an external drive and make a system image uh, backup of the drive? If so, should I use the Windows tools or something different? Uh, go ahead and download the ISO file and burn it. What about a recovery disk? What is it? And what would be an option or something completely different? Okay, there's several questions in there. Um it's always a good idea to have a whole disk backup. So if you've got a system, it came from your refurb uh, distributor uh, as it is. What I would do is right now make an image of it. Um, if you've got a point and you don't even have to have an external uh, a, a hard drive or anything like that. You could you can put it to a USB drive or to a, a DVD uh, if it's got a DVD writer on it. Um, and the tool that I would probably recommend most to do that is Clonezilla. It's a simple point-and-click interface. It's graphical. Sorry, Chris. Um, and it, it works really well. Ha -ha. So you can you can download Clonezilla, uh, run it on the machine, and make a backup copy of it so that you can always go back to the install that is right now. And let me tell you why that is superior uh, to uh, doing the install, and that's because you've got all your drivers in place right now as they are now that machine that dell 745 series um is going to have be uh have well uh established support for drivers in fact you can go to dell type in the um what do they call that there's some sort of number uh asset service tag, tag. service tag service tag service tag yeah and it will tell you the exact drivers for that exact machine and that's all well and good, but that's still you know time out of your life to do that to download them all and install them. Making an image if you ever want to go back is certainly the best way to do it. Uh, you guys have any tools you'd recommend other than Clonezilla for that? Well, um, Windows Seven actually has a pretty decent backup program in it that you can um, back up using um, the Windows Seven thing, and then you can even make a uh, like a an emergency disk to kick off that backup restore. So, and it works pretty decent. Um, you know, that will put you, a backup want... partition on the drive, right? And that how that works. Yeah. Well, no, you can point the location of where you want to back up your data. And like on my case, uh, the first thing I did was I attached a USB hard drive and I just pointed the backup to there. And uh, so, hmm. you know, if you have a Windows 7, and I don't remember the name of it, but uh, like a startup disk, I think is what it's called. You can point to that location and it will restore your computer. So uh, and the other option, if this computer was purchased retail, it might already have a recovery partition on it. So that would be something to look at. Um, and of course, you would probably wipe that out if you were going to be dual booting and stuff. But it's just something to look at and make note of. All right. Yeah, I wouldn't change anything else. Um, Clonezilla is a perfect tool for making a whole disk image. Um, it's one of the tools I use right out of the box. Uh, they, It's not quite user-friendly, so you might want to read things clearly before you use it. Uh, but other than that, Clonezilla is the way to go. Um, but as far as anything else, 
I don't know. I think Clonza would probably do the tool the best out of everything, uh, any of the other options because you always have that just a uh, pristine image of the machine before you right. started playing with anything. All right. And then next, uh, he says, part, uh, question number two, when dual booting, would it be better to split the 80 gig hard drive, buy a bigger hard drive, or install a second hard drive to install Linux on? Um, better depends entirely on what you want to do. 80 gig is fairly small. Um, you know, depending on what you're going to do, you could probably shrink the Windows partition down to, you know, 20 gigs comfortably, use the other 60 for your Linux install, but that doesn't leave you a whole lot of room to actually work with. I mean, if you're going to actually download or create things, 60 gigs is going to be used up fairly quickly. So I would uh, probably do this. If it were me, here's what I would do. Pop the Windows 7 drive out entirely. Put a new... A terabyte drive that you pick up on lmnopi.com slash Amazon for a couple hundred bucks or less and just load Windows on that and go. Then if you or Linux on that and go. If you ever want to go back to Windows, you've got that. You don't have to mess with dual booting. You've got the you got the two drives if you need them. In fact, you could even leave them both in there and just change which one is the boot drive as you need to. So I think that's what I would do is just pull that 80 gig drive out and put it on your shelf. What do you guys think? Well, that's uh, there is nothing wrong with doing that. Um, one thing I would recommend if you are going to dual boot, when I was dual booting between um, Linux and Windows, I created a third partition that I stored most of my data on that I could access from either my Linux partition or my Windows partition. Um, and so I formatted it in TFS. And like, um, you know, if I if I wanted to uh, rip some of my CDs in there or some videos or whatever, I would put them on that partition. So even if I was in Windows and wanted to access them, I could because Windows by default can't read most any Linux um, right. OS. But Linux can read Windows, but I didn't want to put them on my Windows partition just because, you know, I wanted to be neat and weird. So yeah, I that, created that would a be what partition. We've, what we've talked about many times is creating a separate home partition. Just set your home partition as NTFS. Linux isn't going to have any trouble with that, and you can access those files on the Windows side as well. My turn? Sure. <laughs> okay, what, the thing I would do is, like Mark said, I would pull that old uh, 80 gig hard drive out, slap it in a you know terabyte or whatever size hard drive you end up buying, and then I would image the 80 gigabyte into the terabyte. So then you have your Windows partition. If you want to dual boot, you have it there. You also have a physical backup of your stuff that you can then put on the shelf, like Mark said, and not worry about it. Like Mark also said, when you go to Amazon.com slash, or elementop.com slash Amazon, you could pick up one of those USB uh, SATA, to, or I'm sure it's probably SATA, to USB adapters, because then you could pull your, da- your documents off of that drive without worrying about it being destroyed because of you maybe messed up on the the install the Linux the Linux part when you go to install Linux. Uh, there's lots of different options. Everything that has been said here would work. So pick one and go with it. But if you want to dual boot, I would image the original disk into the bigger drive, then work with 
moving your partitions around in the window in the uh, Linux installer so that way you have both as a partition to work with. Uh, just remember that if you have that 80 gig hard drive outside of your computer, you always can go back and not worry about messing anything up. That that's actually really good advice, Chris. So if you want to, if you really want to dual boot and have Windows Seven available and uh, uh, Linux available. Do that because what what will happen? Clonezilla will take that eighty gigs uh, drive uh, partition, blow it out to be the full size of the new drive. Let's say a terabyte, um, and so you'll have one single terabyte partition. Then you can load up whatever your favorite Linux installer is. It will resize that then back down to eighty gigs if you want, and then you've got uh, you know a terabyte minus eighty gigs to to set up your linux partitions on that that probably is the single best way to do it that way you've got the original drive as a backup you've still got the windows installation and the benefit of a bigger faster drive good good yep. suggestion chris well thank you my ha- my hats off to myself okay. <laughs> uh moving on to uh with the rest of his email i hope you can shed, shed some shed some light on this for me i like your show very much and look forward to every week I'm sorry to hear about the other shows going away. I understand that things happen and life goes on. Uh, So take a step back, take a look around, and get your bearings and start again. Uh, A couple of comments about EDL number 91. You did not mention that the oldest running Linux distribution, and that would be Slackware. Um, Chris, you keep spouting the awesomeness of Fedora. I grant you that it's been a very good distribution at times, but Fedora 18 with the new installer is horrible. From the from the live CD, it was a very nice and ran great. Then I tried to install it in my old computer and failed, failed, and failed, and failed, and failed. I kept going in the forums and the Fedora documentation, reading and thinking about, thinking, I got this now, but no. Everything I could find, but to no avail. The last try was to wipe and use the entire hard drive, but that failed as well. So no Fedora for me. Thanks, Kevin. Okay, I'm going to defend myself a little bit on this one. <laughs> Just a little bit, because I will admit the live CDs for Fedora boot up and run like a champ, but their install screens are broken. They're all sorts of messed up. And there's things you can't do in the live screens that doesn't, the live CD that doesn't make any sense to me. So personally, anytime I go to install Fedora, I either do it one of two different ways, depending on your internet speed. If you have a shaky internet speed or a slow one, download the DVD and run the installer from the DVD. That also gives you all the access to any other desktop environment that Fedora offers. If you have a fast internet connection, and I'm talking 5 megs or better, sorry, Seth, I would install via the Netboot CD. Because then, when you're all done installing and it's, it does all its things it needs to do, you are current as of, as of whenever those packages downloaded from the internet. So, the way I always do it is I download, I use the net install, which uses the same installer as the DVD. So, you can do all the things that the live CD can't. Uh, so, just a little defense there. And some of the issues that the Fedora installer has. Like the fact that it's really confusing on how to do your drive partitioning are being a dish or are being worked on and trying to figure out a better way of doing it for Fedora 19. So that is known. They're working on it. This was kind of one of those releases that sucks because of all the things they did to all the different uh, things they've rewritten and changed, such as uh, 
the Anaconda installer, they pretty much rewrote that from scratch. So anytime you rewrite a code from scratch, there's going to be problems. They know about them. They're working on them, and I hope they'll be fixed by 19. Uh, but we'll see. Yeah, Just a quick aside rant about that. Project owners out there in the world, if anybody, anybody out there is listening who uh, manages a product, a project, and you care anything about my opinion, both of those are probably very slim chances. But let's just say that happens. Stop freaking rebuilding code from the ground up. There's a reason their code has lasted. The Anaconda installer in particular has lasted for 20 years. It was good. You can probably fix it. But every time a project reboots and starts over from the ground up, it's crap for like the first three versions as they try to fix all the problems they already fixed in the previous code base. Stop doing that. Remember when Netscape rewrote their entire code base and went with the Gecko engine? It sucked. They took something really good and they broke it. All in the sake of, of a clean code base. Who cares? The end users don't care if the code base is clean. The end users care about whether it works. And if you take something that works and turn it into something that doesn't work, just so it looks better to the guys who code on it, that's going to leave a bad taste in people's mouths. Yep. And that's what and that's what's happened. That's also what's happened with Ubuntu and their Unity desktop. There's people that just freaked out about it and has left um, Ubuntu because of it. So there you go. All right. I, I, that one got uh, under my skin. I've been mad about that since Netscape. Since Netscape 4. <laughs> That's how long I've been wow. mad about that. You hold a grudge, Mark. I do. Good Lord. And, and I've well, seen it. when stupid people do stupid things, <laughs> they deserve to be ridiculed. No, no. Let me, so, um, I'm, I'm going to back off of that a little bit, Seth. When smart people do stupid things, when stupid people do stupid things, I expect it, and I'm okay with it. You're right. When smart you're people right. do stupid things, it pisses me off. You're right. I I should have and said it that way. Mark wants to slap people in the face, so boom, there you go. <laughs> you know, I, I understand that X11 is crusty. I get that. And we've got to have something along in the future. I get that. But sticking us all with Wayland, which is inherently broken, just because you don't like the fact that X11 is old, it doesn't make sense to the end user, people. Now, it may make sense to, to the seventh-level Uber geeks who sit around in your IRC rooms and make these decisions, but to those of us who have to live with it, it's a bad thing, and you're going to make us all mad. Microsoft, why the heck did you have to get rid of the start menu? We like it. It's been around for 20 years. And works. Dude, I was on a Windows 8. Uh, computer the other day and I was trying to access something in the control panel and you know and of course I, I went over to the desktop screen and I had to go down to the network icon right click go into network settings back up to the control panel to get to anywhere <laughs> why can't you have a freaking start button I understand if I wasted $40,000 on your crappy tablet that clicks I could have done it with my fingers but I was on a laptop with a keyboard there are still one or two of those out in the wild. Thank you, Microsoft. End of rant. Part wow, eight. you got you got two rants, two two for the price of one tonight. And and, and the nice, I, do, 
Yeah, the do, do, do I get to rant on Windows 8 too, too? Huh? Go, can go I? Right can in. I? Please, please. I hate the fact that I have to type in my search commands. What is that all about? I mean, with I had somebody at my conference that I was just at last couple of days running a Windows 8 tablet and trying to run our student information system, and it's Windows 8. So you have to be on the desktop to launch said shortcut to launch our archive system for this. And they were like, well, how do I... They're going to turn it off by going to log out and then go to the power menu and then turn it off. And I'm like, you know, you can search by just starting to type. And she looked at me funny and went, I can do that? Well, yeah, you can do that. But why the bloody heck do you have to? That's stupid. Go to Ninight, download classic uh, start button, and uh, install that on any Windows 8 machine you buy and disable the interface formerly known as Metro. So while we're on the subject of of taking things that were essentially good and breaking them and raping them for the sake of the uh, the developers, let's talk about Ubuntu 13.04. Uh, you know, I, I might have to have a beer after this episode at the rate <laughs> we're going. Oh, okay, okay, who's Mark? You're first. You're you have you are first on the list, so you can go first. Yeah, because yours is going to be I hate Unity. And that's the end of your review. Um, oh, no. So oh, no. I have more than that. Okay. So I downloaded Ubuntu 13.04. And to be fair, I threw this in a VMware, uh, excuse me, a, a virtual box, a virtual machine. So I didn't get the full-on bare metal experience. And I will, you know, put that caveat out there. Caveat out there. It might have been if I had dedicated my i7 processor to it, it might have been a better experience. Uh, but here's my take on Ubuntu 13.04. First off, the installer I liked. They've simplified the installer. They've made it better for the the non-expert uh, user. Uh, Ubuntu has always had a good installer. Uh, well, not always. Hori Hedgehog, not so much. Um, Recently, but, uh, they've always had a good yeah. installer. In the last several versions, they've had a really good installer, and they've and they've streamlined it even more, uh, complete with serving you up uh, ads for the Amazon store while you wait. I thought that was a nice touch. Uh, so uh, you're clicking along <laughs> there. It was really, I didn't count them, but it was like seven clicks uh, to install. That's nice. I like that. It's really good. Uh, the... Um, the partitioner the uh, on the on a bare metal again the m- machine thought it was a blank hard drive um, was really straightforward and intuitive it still however did gave me a single partition i really think they need to build in a multi partition setup as their default setup um, it just it just makes sense but uh, they didn't do it that way it's a single uh, big partition with everything on it um and so then I'm done. It was a little slow. Again, virtualization, I'll, I'll chalk it up to that. But the install took longer than a typical uh, Ubuntu install I would expect to. Uh, once I was there, though, I was uh, introduced to the new uh, interface. It's very Windows 70. It's very glassy. Lots of transparency. Lots of things that fade in and fade out. Uh, no wobbly windows, at least not as the default. I could certainly have turned that on. Um, but uh, the the interface was was good. It was it was very much like I'm sad to say Windows 8. Um, you know it was it was kind of dockish. You know Windows 7 essentially it's a dock with a start menu, right? Most of the things I do that I do every day I stick on the taskbar, which becomes essentially a dock. Uh, and the uh, the Ubuntu Unity interface gives you that same 
uh, ability. You know, everything it comes pre-populated with some things on there. Um, it's a little maddening. And again, this is a review of, of Unity more than Ubuntu. It's a little maddening to try to figure out what's on your machine. Um, it's not intuitive. There's not a start, run, all programs, you know, or or to go back to the old inner uh, um, uh, Ubuntu, that's the word, Ubuntu days. You can't just click on the uh, the icon up there and see you know internet and documents it's not like that anymore it's all it's all integrated into this sort of search thing um i will say unity has grown up since i last used it it's matured um it, it's uh it's much more visually appealing but it's still cumbersome it's difficult to find what you need if what you need isn't already on the, the dock so if it is, if the you know the browser, the document creation, your email, whatever, if that if what you need is already on the dock, you're in good shape. And I guess the assumption is that for the for the grandma users out there, the everyday users, they're going to fine tune that and they're going to preload what you need. And most people will never do, need to go beyond that. All right, I'm not sure I agree with that, but I'll accept the premise. But say I wanted uh, Thunderbird, which I did want. I want my own real uh, mail client instead of a web mail. It, it comes pre-installed. Thunderbird is there, but you'd never know it. And you can't type in your search box email and be guaranteed to find it. I had to, to do a search through several different menus to say, oh, look, there's Thunderbird. Now, how do I get it onto my dock? I don't know. There's not a right-click add to dock menu. There's not a uh, pin to uh, dock. There's none of that. What what you found out you had to do was click on it, hold, and then it sort of glows at you, a la tablet style, and then you drag it onto the dock, and then the other things move out of the way, and it would make space for it. Found that out, but it's not intuitive. You you it's you know it's discovery by Easter egg. You have to stumble onto features. And that's the same complaint that people have had about iOS and Android and, and these touch-centric interfaces. And, and Ubuntu keeps trying to move to that touch-centric interface. So does Microsoft. So does everybody at this point. Uh, I guess you just need to accept that and move on. But I'm not willing to accept that because I don't have a touch screen. I have a laptop. Um, okay, so I would call it a competitor, a competent competitor to Windows eight windows seven um but like those things i I put in the notes windows seven but more i think about it i think it's really a competitor to windows eight but like windows eight it's going to be frustrating to people who want to do anything other than what's presented to them right there on the home screen if what you want is on the home screen you're going to be happy with it It, otherwise you're going to be frustrated with it and and overall the whole thing just felt heavy the moving from one thing to another was a little sluggish. A lo- searching things, loading things up was sluggish. It just felt molassesy. There wasn't a quick snap. It wasn't, um, you know, uh, here's what I want to do. Okay, good, I'm doing it. It was, here's what I want to do. Oh, let me think about that a minute. Okay, I guess I can do that. All right, fine. I'll go do it. That was kind of the, the experience I had with my machine. Like I was cajoling it. Come on, you can do it. Come on. You can, can do, do it. Uh, so overall, um, it is it is right up there with the other operating systems that are current in the marketplace today. That's a positive. 
The negative is it's right up there with all the other operating systems that are current in the market today. I don't think there is a good geek operating system in the market today. Um, and I'm by the way, I'm I'm not counting Windows Seven. Windows Seven isn't in the market today. You can't you can't buy a Windows Seven license anymore. You have to buy Windows Eight and and use the downgrade license. So I'm not counting that. So Windows Eight, Mac OS, Ubuntu Unity interface. I, I would say they all have parity. There some things are better than others uh, on each one, but they all have the same strengths and and overall weaknesses it's there it's good for what it is for this time in computing history it fits but that doesn't mean i have to like it that's my wow review of ubuntu 1304 i mean you just you compared it and equated it to windows 8 is there a harsher review out there <laughs> I, I don't know that's that's Whatever. my review yeah, um, I liken it more just has like a service pack for the previous Ubuntu. Uh, you know, I mean, they're, of course, you know, now Amazon knows everything you search for. And uh, unless you go in and turn it off and probably in the next version, you won't even have that option. Um, I it's well, easier. Let me interrupt you for a second, Seth, and back up. Say I haven't run a Unity based Ubuntu yet. So right. my my this was a, a whole new jump for me. I was back on an old version of Ubuntu that was pre Unity. So to you you to say it's a a service pack, I can't say one way or the other. I'm just talking about as it is right now compared to yeah, you know where it was. So go ahead. No, I was just going to say there's really nothing just from a usability standpoint to differentiate it from the previous iterations of ubuntu unity i mean it's a little more tweaked it's a little more streamlined um you know like i say it's a little more cloud centric so they want to be more like chrome os as well um you can find stuff but again it's you you have to find stuff but to me you're at least given the tools out of the gate to find things you might not know what to look for but at least you have tools to look for them as opposed to the latest contender from microsoft um but yeah, it's better than having to accidentally swipe up to the top and find out that there's something there. I, admittedly, it's better than that method of, of discovery. You know, you can't move your uh, mouse to the upper right-hand corner of the screen to click an X, but move over one pixel too far, and half of your screen is taken over with the charms bar, and so you can't close your program because you're presented with all the charms options. You know, if Microsoft were to make one of the charms options close currently open window, that would probably do a lot to alleviate my Windows 8 hating. Well, it would maybe take it down a notch. But yeah, I know, I mean, Ubuntu 13 is just Ubuntu 12 service pack one or two, depending on, there's real, I mean, there's nothing new, but you know, they're going to churn out a new release every six months. So, you know, they don't always have time to do the groundbreaking stuff. I, there's really, I mean, to me, there's not a lot there to review that wasn't there before. Now, again, I, I didn't play with it a lot, just a little bit. Um, so maybe, oh, well, you didn't go to this uh, special bar and input 24 and see all the new stuff, but it, it there wasn't much there for me that was new. So did uh, did you see anything, Chris, that was different or new about it? Okay, are we ready for my rant? <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Well, before you, before you go off, let me just add something. Um, if I had to live with 
Ubuntu 13.04 and the Unity interface, I'm sure I could get used to it at some point. But I'm glad I don't have to. I'm glad there are options around uh, because I, I wouldn't choose that. I would I would certainly choose like anything else, really. <laughs> and I think, you know, has a user, to me, it's a fine OS. But I'm more of a tinkerer as opposed to a user. So for me, it's not a fine OS. But if you're just going to go and, you know, and you, most people who have these, you know, computers that can do all kinds of really cool stuff, you know, what, what are you going to do? You're going to go to Facebook and play, um, you know, Candy Mountain Jewel Quest or whatever the latest game is on there. <laughs> uh, and that's really about all your or Candy Crush. Yeah, that's the name of it. That's really about all you're going to do with it. And so, you know, this OS is fine for that, um, you know, um, but again, has a tinkerer or an IT professional. I I don't like it, but just has an end user. It has just some really neat, or it to me, it's okay to use. If that, I don't know if that makes any sense. But again, Ubuntu really hasn't made sense to me for the last couple of years. <laughs> so, all right, Chris, take it away. Okay, so, um, let's see where to start. Well, let's start at the beginning. Yes, the boot, the the boot installer is a nice installer. It's probably one of the best I've seen in a very long time. It's nice. It's simple. It does do its job. It doesn't get in the way. But if you're trying to do multi-partitioning or anything of that sort, you're going to be in a big line of hurt because I didn't really see any easy way to get to an advanced partitioning tool. So that's a strike against it in my book because I like to have separate home partitions. Uh, now, I didn't use it, but there was right there on the uh, install thing, there was an advanced option. You could click advanced. And, and yep. in previous times, that could that would take you to a... Um, uh, partitioner is that not the case anymore yeah no no no. that was still there too but it really wasn't when i went into it it wasn't portrayed in a way that made it simple enough to make multi-partitions there was a lot little more hoops to jump through so to speak but not a big deal um most people that are going to be moving to ubuntu are probably going to go with the default clicks anyway uh, I do like the fact that they do have the buttons for the automatically install updates and the third-party uh, tools. If you're in an area that that isn't a big deal, that's nice. So, And if you have good internet, it's still nice. But I still don't understand why if I don't check the box that says download all my stuff now, why does it still download or act like it's downloading the language packs? Does that make any sense to you guys? Doesn't make sense to me. I was in a hotel trying to do this on a virtual box. Okay. Also in the hotel were about, oh, I would say at least 600 other people trying to do things as well. So my bandwidth was zero. I was probably about worse than you, Seth. Um, <laughs> you I could at, barely even check my email. Conference, so the porn quotient was pretty high at that hotel, I'm sure. <laughs> well, actually, it was at a school conference. Oh, for even worse. The stuff I was at. Oh, yeah. It, well, that may be. But, so uh, I can't really hurt it too much for the installer. It is nice. It is pretty. Um, I don't know if I like the Amazon references in, it, it, during the install, but it was fine. Now comes the fun part Unity. It's still so slow and sluggish. It feels like I'm wading through molasses. I even tried maybe trying to speed it up a little bit with preload and prelink, 
not a big difference. Uh, not enough that you would actually feel it. It does, as it's been running for a while, it does seem to spin up and start reacting a little quicker when you click links or when you click into the dash and start searching. I think some of the bloat for Unity came from the additional lens, the lenses, as they call it, for previewing things. So like, for an example, if you right click on any of the, on anything inside of Dash, they pop open this little more about me application. And you can see a screenshot. You can see some information, the basic reviews on the application based on the software center. Um, it's a little bit too much, in my opinion. If I wanted to know that information, I'd go to the software center. Why are you giving it to me now? Put the the right click on a computer when you right click on an icon in the dash. Give us the option to you know to attach it to the launcher. That's what everyone's looking for. Put it there. Why are we getting this stupid screen to rate or read a review? That's dumb. It's an absolute worthless place for that. Um. To go on, I do like though some of the lenses that they did install. I do like the ability to right click or to on the music tab to see the uh, album art of the song to get more information on that song or the artist. That is that's nice. That's a perfect place for that. But it falls short on any of the other tabs, um, especially the applications tab, the documents tab. Okay, I can I can live with it there. It'll give me some basic, you know, usage information. The last time it was open, etc. Okay, nice, thank you. But I don't really need it. Um, the one part that it falls really flat on my uh, for me, Unity is tied to Amazon. Great. The problem is when you click on the Amazon videos to go look at them or to go watch them. If you're a Prime member like I am, they don't work. Because Amazon doesn't allow Linux to stream, even if Ubuntu, even if you install the codecs, and even if you install HAL. What is that all about? That is stupid. Amazon, Ubuntu, if you're going to have a, a partnership, get your stuff straight before you release it. That doesn't make any sense to me. Can you, Does that make any sense to anybody else? Nope, I didn't think so. <laughs> Continuing on. So yes, Mark, I did do my homework. I just didn't type it in. Ha 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 ha. So we'll continue on the top. Exactly, Trevon. I, I agree with you in the chat room. That that's I think it's stupid that Amazon relies upon how. Anyway, um, the menu options for going into your system, in your volume, in your date, and your shut off and system screens, whatever on the far right hand side of it of it. Great. Work, that, that all works pretty slick, pretty straightforward, very GNOME 3-esque. Um, all of those options are, even when you have Bluetooth, that's all GNOME 3. Uh, if I were to guess, I'd say they just ripped and copied their code because it's the icons are the same, uh, the reactions are the same, there isn't anything different there. Uh, yeah, so that was interesting to notice because I also had GNOME 3 Fedora on a virtual box right next to it. Kind of interesting. Uh, I don't know why they got rid of the virtual desktop widget and you have to go turn it on. That doesn't make any sense to me. Linux has always been billed as multiple workspaces. Or spaces, excuse me. Why is that now an option you have to turn on? 
that doesn't make because sense. They because they haven't found the way to monetize that yet. And most <laughs> people don't use it. Geeks well, use it, right. but regular people don't. Well, until they realize, until someone shows them what the multiple workspaces are, and then they use it. My prime example for that is my gra- my mom and my stepdad. Once I showed them what that button did, they want it everywhere they go. They want it on their phone, for that matter. Um, so why it was an option, uh, an optional turn on feature, that doesn't make sense to me. But I could see it when you bring it up that way. Um. I guess we'll continue. The default applications they put on the left side panel is a little extensive. I think they're trying to build themselves off as being bigger than they are. Why is there a separate button for all the different LibreOffice tools when you could just put the LibreOffice launcher that gives you the big screen with all the little buttons on it? That would make more sense to me. Um, granted, you would have to an extra click to get into anything, but you would also give the the user the ability to launch any of the device any of the applications from LibreOffice from one place instead of having to go through different ones or using the stupid search option. Uh, when we go into the application screen or the software center, uh, the software center has been cleaned up a little bit. It looks a lot nicer. The uh, I wish there's a easier way to do the software center. Uh, for like if you're trying to find an application they don't really give you a way to go okay thunder thunderbird is also like you know claws mail and you know the the alternatives to said program because like for example you have to go find your chrome if you want google chrome it's not built into the software center because google and ubuntu maybe have some sort of love hate relationship i don't know but you you don't get that choice Either you have Firefox. Not a bad choice. I love my Firefox. I don't have a problem with Firefox. But having the choice for multiple browsers is nice, but not having a way to actually search out alternatives is a small problem. I also don't like the fact that they're defaulting it to, for instant messaging clients, the... Oh, what the heck is the thing called? I don't remember it now off the top of my head. Uh, it's... Let me find it. Uh, it's not evolution, it's empathy. The empathy client. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but every time I run empathy, my system crashes. And I don't know if it's my machine, or if it's the way it's built into you. Uh, you did, you What the? Someone forget their phone? <laughs> um, no, it, it's a church phone here, and uh, um, <laughs> so I'm going to mute my mic. Okay, so... I don't know if it's just me and empathy having an issue or if it's empathy in general, but pigeons worked f- so well for so long yep. and it is the default for most other places. Why are we using empathy? Um, I, I last used empathy years ago, didn't like it, went back to, to pigeon. And so that's why I couldn't even come up with the name of it when you were looking at it. I don't care. I just install yeah. pigeon and go on. Right, and if you install Pigeon and you do the whole Dropbox sync trick that I've talked about before, there's no reason to use Empathy. Um, and you also can't get the Empathy, or, at least, or I should say the Pigeon, uh, at least not from the look I did. Um, I, I did do a little bit of digging to see if I can find the way to embed the Pigeon 
notifications into the shell. I guess you would call it the shell. But I couldn't really find any easy way to do it. I'm sure they're there. I just didn't spend enough time looking for it. But, and I guess Trevamon, or however you say his name, says it's because Gnome is empathy. So, okay. If that's the choice for Gnome, then good for them. But if Unity is supposed to be its own client, its own environment, there's no there's no reason to rebuild that particular function when I think it's broken. Uh, right, but Pigeon does link local as well. So there's no real reason if Unity is supposed to be a rebuild in its own system, why are they pulling GNOME 3 tools in to do it? Uh, that just it doesn't make sense to me. If you're gonna be your own your own man, be your own man, not copy from everyone else. <laughs> so, uh, they still use the standard for file browsing that everyone uses in GNOME, which okay, it works. There's no sense in fixing it. Uh, and I don't have a problem with whatever the program's called now, Nautilus. Uh, Nautilus works great. Um, ninety time, ninety nine percent of the time, it does exactly what you ask it to do. But with everything else in the environment being a single click to do something, why do I have to double click inside of the file browser? I don't understand that. It doesn't make any sense to me. If everything else is single click, why are we double clicking inside of the file manager too? Well, Chris, on systems that have a single click. I go insane and turn the double click back on. I like double click. Right, right. I like a single uh, click to select, a double click to activate. So that's I'm fine, Mark. That. But if everything else in the environment is single click, that's where I think there's a user break. Um, that's just my opinion on user interaction. If you do single click for everything, you should be single click everywhere, not just in that one single space being a, a double click. It just seems like a user interface break, break to me. Okay. Uh, it's, and, you know, I'm trying, I tried to give it a good shake. I really did. For someone who's fresh to Linux and it doesn't understand some of the, the ways menuing works for KDE or LXDE or any of the other desktops, they might not have a problem with it. If they're thinking it's more like a tablet interface, they'll probably be okay. They just need to work on some of the issues with speed and user interfacing. I think once I just, they get I this- just want to say that I, I get the sense here that some of this rant and rant on my brother, it's okay, uh, comes from your thirty-day uh, challenge of using only Unity and not so much your test drive of thirteen point oh four. Well, but the, these issues have been inside of Unity since birth. Yes. Yes. So it is a rant on 13.04. I mean, if, if I were just to go, you know, would I tell people to run 13.04? Probably not. Because there's issues that I have with the, with the user interface, and it's not just this version. Is it better than the last version? Definitely. There are less crashes. There's less Unity bugs. It's better. It's not good yet, but it's better. It's just a better smelling turd right now, in my opinion. <laughs> So that's, that's the subtitle for this show. Ubuntu 13.04, a better smelling turd. <laughs> well, I'm glad I could help you with that one. Um, 
yes, at it's least she didn't better. bash I it think... as bad as Mark with equating it to Windows Eight. <laughs> well, he already did that, so I figured I didn't have to. So, but you know, like I said, it 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 is an improvement upon previous releases, which is what a, a release is supposed to be. It's supposed to be better than the last one. This one is better. It is not good yet. It is not for everybody, in my opinion. Will it be there? If they keep moving at the rate they're going, yes. It will get to the point where everyone will be like, Unity is the best thing since sliced bread. But they have a big hill to climb because they also have Gnome 3 behind them, either behind them or next to them, eating the same amount of food they are. So the Gnome 3 team is either going to take over for Unity and Unity is going to go away because Gnome 3 is better, or Unity is going to take over for Gnome 3. Who wins out? I don't know yet. It's still a race. But it's the same race. They are in the exact same interface. There's some minor differences here and there. But right now, there is parity between... Okay, thank you for being literal. Move on, move on. on. (laughs) But they're the same duck, or the same horse, or the same whatever you want to call it. They're just different interpolations of the same idea. The question will be, does Gnome Shell have enough to take Unity down, or does Unity have enough user base to take Gnome Shell down? It's a good race. We'll see where it goes. I'm hoping that Gnome Shell wins because I like Gnome Shell better than I like Unity. But it's starting to get to parity. And when things get to parity, that's when people, one little mistake will cause the whole house of cards to fall down. I really think this is the opportunity for KDE to pounce for them I do. to say, I do. you know, that while you guys are squabbling here, we're going to be awesome. I think it's their opportunity. And especially with open Susie's release, that open, Su- the open Susie version of KDE is rock solid. It is a beautiful interface and it kicks a lot of can. And obviously I've stated my KDE love affair on the show before. I have, the utmost love for KDE. I've been a user of KDE since two. So, you know, this would be the time for the KDE um, publicist to start pushing KDE and to get as many people to get KDE installed, maybe figure a way to get a little bit less KDE bloat because KDE is bloated. If they could lean it down a little bit so it's a little speedier like LXDE is, I think KDE would win the desktop, or at least at this battle, they would win the the battle for the common desktop environment. So really, you know, our entire review of Ubuntu 13.04 has been Unity, frankly. We didn't, uh, well, the you know, the, the software center uh, is Ubuntu, uh, regardless of which version you do, but the... That's sort of the thing there, right? That's what they're pushing right now, the desktop experience. So we, we haven't even talked about, you know, all the great goodness that, that Ubuntu gives you in that, you know, the, the whole Debian um, uh, user uh, code base that is, that is great, the repository model that it has, the, the multi, okay. uh, you know, uh, resources. Those, those are all great, but it's, it's a great, big, beautiful uh, ice cream sundae spoiled by a turd on top. Exactly. And you know, the Debian, I honestly don't know if I could say it's based on Debian anymore. 
Um, Ubuntu does a lot of their coding in house. So if they're doing all their house, if they're doing all their coding in house, is it truly Debian anymore? Or is it Ubuntu with Debian flavor in it? Yeah, I guess that. I still think it's more Debian than it is Ubuntu. Uh, that's my take on it. Well, for how long? You know, well, we'll th- see. That's that's the key. Is with Ubuntu doing more and more work in house and releasing. I don't know how much they're releasing back into the code base for, um, you know, Debian or any of their the children. Um, I'm sure we'll get answers about how much. Ubuntu feeds back, but that's the question I raise. Is Ubuntu going to become another base that people all base off of, like Debian was and is, or is are they still going to be the Debian child that has just become bigger than their parent? Only time will tell, but my advice, uh, skip this one. If you're happy with what you got, Skip this one and 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 go to thirteen dot ten, or download the Kubuntu version. Um, go to Mint. Yeah. My, advice, my review <laughs> of Ubuntu thirteen dot oh four is use Mint. <laughs> See, and I would say if you're already a Unity person and you're on an older version that has Unity, upgrade to this one. The stability factor alone is worth the upgrade. Okay. Um. You know, that's that's how I would look at it. And like Seth said earlier, it feels like a service pack. Just like uh, 7 or, yeah, 7 was Vista done right. That's what this one is. This, you know, 1304 was 1210 done right. Or this is what 1210 should have been. Crappy. Yeah. <laughs> See, I was using, I think, 1204 in fallback mode. So I was still using right. GNOME. Um, and so that's why I say skip this one. I'm still going to use 1204 in fallback mode and be happy with it. Well, uh, 1204 probably... is long-term, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so it'll be around for a while, but the right. ones before that are gone. So that that's kind of why I say skip this one. There's just, there's no, if you're riding that wave, then yeah, you want the updates. But if you're still uh, in the long-term support realm, stick there. You know, for your, if you're wondering what to give your mother-in-law, you know, Mint or, or 1204. That that's that's just what I think. But overall, Ubuntu. I'm still bullish on Ubuntu in general. Less bullish than I was say three years ago. But I'm still bullish in general. I just can't get behind Unity yet. I want to. I do. I I, I there are some good ideas germinating, but I'm, they're just they're half baked. Yeah, they're, it's not ready for prime time. You know, like you know, and that's not saying Gnome Shell is. But they're just not ready, and they, until they get ready, I won't stand behind Ubuntu ever at this point, unless, of course, you're using Kubuntu or one of the the old other desktop environments. So you tell us what you think at elementop.com. Click the contact us button at the top of the page, or send an email to edal. Ed, did it again, edal. For some reason, my East Texas jumps out when I say that. To edl at elementop.com or call us at 559-IAMOP and leave a voicemail. Uh, let us know what you think. Are we being too hard on Ubuntu? Are we painting uh, Ubuntu no. with a wide brush because of Unity? What do you think? 
Um, do you hate it as much as Chris does? I don't know. Not many people hate things as much as Chris hates unity. Um, That's because I'm passionate. Yes. <laughs> uh, so let us know what you think. Elementop.com. Chris, what is your command line of the week? The command line of the week comes to the reason um, I had a couple of issues with my Linux servers at work. And I was trying to figure out why the kernel was updated and who told it to reboot. So I pulled out this little command out, and it's last reboot. And what it does is it tells you the last times it was your Linux machine was rebooted. It actually it doesn't tell you that. Well, obviously the only user that can really do a reboot is root, but it does tell you when it was rebooted, date and time. So when I was able to look at my my boss and the other guy around, and I go, okay, who rebooted the server at X Y Z time in the middle of the night? And didn't ask if it was okay to reboot. So it was kind of nice to be able to just say, yeah, I have a date and time for the last reboot. Why was it done? I don't know if you'd use it. It's kind of nice. I use it a lot now to, uh, you know, break fingers and chop off hands. (laughs) You, uh, if you're a server administrator, this might help a little bit. Last reboot. All right. Yeah, it's it's just it's one single thing that gives you one single piece of information, but if you need to hang it somebody, that could be the rope. And it does it very, very well. Seth, what weird bit of internet bizarreness have you brought to us this week? I I found this site and I thought I had to share this with the element OP faithful because this site is pure awesomeness. This site is a graphical representation of the 7 billion people in the world today on a one-to-one scale. 7billionworld.com. Just go there. 7 billion little stick figures all in a row. (laughs) Come on. That's crazy. (laughs) I want to know if they're really... I want to count them all just to make sure that they're not cheating me. Well, you can mouse over one and it tells you what number it is. So, um, and you know, in like Asia, Africa, the Americas, Europe, and Oceania all have their own color code. Um, so 7billionworld.com, uh, on this page, you can see every single one of us. I am, uh, I'm on the fourth (laughs) row of red, the 871th over. So, uh, pick out your number and let us know. Seven billion world.com. So I want to take a screenshot of this and draw a picture around it and say, This is me, and make that like my avatar on Google Plus or something. That would be funny. That would be. Uh, It's it's kind of crazy that in about 25 years, we added a billion people to the planet. Because in the mid 80s, early 80s there were six billion people in the world now there are seven um that's we pretty amazing a, we just need a good war or uh <laughs> if, if not a good war a good pandemic uh so the next pandemic is on you seth there you go okay oh yeah <laughs> try what's, to what's, you know just try to scroll down through it without using your mouse wheel or anything just using the up or down or page up and down <laughs> it takes forever to get through a group. Seven <laughs> billion people. Seven billion world dot com. It's there and wow. it's real. 
So, um, yeah, there you go. Come on, come on, guys. What do you think about this site? I think it's uh, interesting. Actually, what I was thinking from the from the 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 beginning was what language are they using that could process a variable that big without crashing? That that's you know, um, that's what I was thinking. Uh, and you know, geek. you know, the even weirder thing: it has twenty nine thousand likes on Facebook. Twenty nine thousand likes. Yes. 29k likes on facebook so uh you know wow. it's got a little facebook tag on there so this uh I, I just had to share this i thought it was a great site and it fits right in with what my seth's link has become so i've <laughs> I've, uh, I've abandoned at least uh, for the time being any seriousness with it and I'm, I'm going for the i'm going for the gold all right or in this case gold red blue and green and black yeah uh, you know, I wonder there if they're racist because the the Asians are yellow, <laughs> the Africans are black, the Americans are red, uh, the Europeans are blue. That's kind of weird, and the Oceania is green. So, I'm a good old red blooded American. Count me as one of them yep. red ones. So the next thing I need to do is break that up between red state and blue state. That'd be yeah, that'd be too much. <laughs> Apparently, Some all the blue states put a stripe down the Europe. middle of them with their red or blue. <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, that's it that's what a fine note to leave the show on uh various rants hopefully a little bit of good advice and then just the fact that there are seven billion people and you can pick one um interesting oh uh jim beeson says the colors are based on the olympic rings the five olympic rings uh-huh. oh well, that okay. explains that then Wow, you actually went on the site and found that out, probably under the other fact and info page. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Thank you, Jim, for pointing that out. I was just blown away by the awesomeness of the front page and was unable to click on any of the links. <laughs> All right, folks, that's going to wrap it up. We've we've hit the hour and a half mark yet again. I, I thought this was going to be a short show. I was trying to rein it in, and then I went off, and then I let Chris go off. You know, once once I take Chris off his leash, I never know what's going to happen. Uh, so, hey, hey, at least I held down the uh, the the profanities this time around again. <laughs> yeah. I didn't have to use the old beep button this time. Uh, That's thanks right. for. Go ahead. I was going to say, how big is this page? And the answer is huge. The exact size depends on the screen resolution of your PC, but the page is almost one mile high and eight hundred feet wide. So there you go. Wow. All right. I'm 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 ending this cuz the bizarre facts will come out and then Seth will start quoting you things that he read in the phone book in 1982. Um so all right. Uh thanks for being with us Seth and Chris as always. I couldn't do this show without you. Well, I could, but it would be a lot less interesting. Um and thank you for listening. You're the only reason we do this. Uh so we appreciate it again. Mad props to those of you who are using elementopcom slash Amazon. Keep doing it. Um, we gave you some tips last week on how you can rate us on iTunes without having to give Apple a credit card. Please do that. It would go uh, a long way toward helping us out. So, uh, Anthony, before you blow away that Windows 7 partition, download iTunes. Give us a rating and review on iTunes. We appreciate it. Spread the word. Um, and that's, that is my command to you this week. Go and uh, make disciples 
of Element OP. Two minutes uh, to Wapner. <laughs> Good night, everybody. I'm going to say that ends this episode of Everyday Day.